The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. My name is Alessandra Molito. I am the retirement reporter for Market Watch. Today with us is Teresa Gillarducci, professor of economics at the New School. Welcome, Teresa. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Allie. Really great to be here with you. So this week is a pretty, pretty big one. It's been two years since basically the U.S. shut down in response to the coronavirus and I think a lot has changed as we have seen in basically every aspect of the world. But uh, of course, one of my favorite topics is retirement security. So I wanted to look back and see what's changed, how Americans have been impacted for their retirement security and just what's going on now. So I will just get started with questions if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. Great. So like I said, two years ago this week, was a pretty big week for us in the country. What would you say has been the biggest impact on Americans' retirement security, be it employment or savings or spending or, and so on? Uh, so what was remarkable <clears throat> about the pandemic is that uh, the world's economies, the governments imposed a recession you know, on the entire world. Um, and at the same time, they learned the lessons of the Great Depressions you know, that we've had and the Great Recessions we've had before and um, spent trillions of dollars, you know, um, 10% of GDPs in some cases to replace incomes um, for, um, for households. So they were quick with, uh, Americans were quick with the stimulus payments, um, quick with loans to um, small businesses, increased um, money, you know, for unemployment insurance. But the government of the United States did not help wealth and they did not help jobs. And those two things really hurt um, older uh, Americans nearing retirement. So I'll just talk about that very vulnerable group, um, those people who are working between 55 and 64, and to some extent, those who are working between 65 and 70. For, um, for those uh, who are working between 55 and 65, we saw massive excess retirements, you know, retirements that were more than we would have expected um, given um, trends in aging and trends in retirement. We saw about 1.7 million um, more people retire than we would have expected. But those experiences were very different according to education group. Um, people who were a little bit younger, not white, not college educated, were forced out of their jobs. They were first um, unemployed, and then they um, told researchers that they retired. Others who were older and college educated and more, most likely white um, seemed to accelerate their decision to retire a little bit early. And these were people who had, um, who had retirement savings. And in 2020, if we remember, the stock market was really rising. 
So if they had equities in their retirement accounts and they had retired, if they had retirement accounts, then they may have gotten a little boost um, from the equity increases during that time. So I would say what the pandemic meant for Americans retirement or older workers nearing retirement was a tale of two retirements. There were some who retired earlier and voluntarily, and there were others that were just forced out of the labor market um, earlier than they expected and also forever. So that's a great point. We know that um, when a person retires can have quite the influence on their retirement security, both financially and also emotionally. But just how influential can it be when somebody is forced into retirement? Yeah, it, you know, I was thinking about that question a lot. Um, it's not so much the age at which you retire, but it is the circumstances with which you retire. Um, so if you retire because you plan to and you voluntarily did it, it was up to you, your experience in retirement, that transition is completely different. Think of the people who are retiring younger than we would um, we would think about the normal retirement age. These are public employees, um, union um, manufacturing workers, service workers, who, because of their union contract, um, spent a lot of their wages basically on retirement in their defined benefit plan and their supplemental 401k type plan. And they aim to retire around, in some cases, you know, think of an auto worker or coal miner at 58, um, public sector workers at 60, teachers at 60, 62, they tend, and I follow people over time, you know, for 30 years, not to have a risk of, of um, poverty, um, tend to be secure that their income won't fall or they'll run out of money. But you take a person who's at 60 and who was forced out, lots of them were forced out, hundreds of thousands um, in that age range during the pandemic, and they are retiring earlier than they expected, involuntarily, they feel like they've been cast out. Um, they may draw down their retirement savings way before they thought they would, and they did not accumulate retirement savings um, on the path that they thought they would. They also may be forced to claim Social Security a little earlier, which we know means a lifetime of much lower benefits than you thought you would. But mentally, the impact is just severe and deep. We find that people who retire uh, involuntarily, no matter what the age is, um, tend to have chronic depression and stress, which in turn, if you can isolate you know, that effect, uh, really affects the, their, mo mo you know, their morbidity and eventually their mortality. So having a voluntary retirement transition is the whole thing. It really doesn't even matter at what level of income you are. Making that transition dignified and planned and under the control of the person um, seems to matter a lot, um, at least according to my research and, and many others. Absolutely. And I feel like in past stories that I've written, um, it's also harder sometimes for older workers to find new jobs yeah. um, than maybe their younger counterparts. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really, uh, Ali, that's a really, really good point. So we have um, these excess retirements, majority of which are coming out of a period of unemployment. 
in the past, we might have expected um, older worker who was laid off in a sector that might be shrinking, that they would switch to another sector or go to a competitor in the, in the same sector. But um, this recession and a little bit the last recession um, revealed a very unusual pattern um, um, since we started measuring these patterns that older workers not only took longer to go back to work, but their unemployment rates were higher than prime age workers. And um, that was true of this recession and it wasn't true of any other recession. So older workers may have um, been kind of protected because of their experience and their know-how. Um, they weren't protected this time. In fact, the AARP reported that age discrimination, the perception of age discrimination is at an all time high since they started measuring that um, back in the um, in the 80s. So I uh, suspect, given this preponderance of evidence that the pandemic gave employers kind of a life, uh, a once in a lifetime chance to get rid of older workers. Remember, it was during the Trump administration and the Trump administration had taken it real easy on enforcing any kind of labor laws, including age discrimination laws. So it might have been a perfect time for an employer who was you know, stressed um, to get rid of their older workers. Yeah, definitely. So I just wanna take a moment to remind the audience to feel free to submit questions. We will be answering them later. Uh, so my next question. Uh, I know how much you care deeply for this subject. So are there any trends related to retirement that have been um, that have been top of mind for you uh, or any aspects of retirement planning or living permanently that changed you know, from your perspective? Yeah. Um, so um, a big shock like that, like the pandemic um, gives us researchers kind of pause to see if there's been any big break and what the trends are or just an acceleration um, of the trends that we already saw. So let me back up. The trends that we already saw, kind of an inequality in retirement um, um, decisions and experiences definitely um, accelerated. You know, I call it the tale of two retirements, but we were creeping up to that um, anyway. The people who had less retirement wealth were um, people who were in kind of tough jobs and they were forced to stay in the labor market longer. And for a host of other reasons, their longevity was like moving away from average and moving away from the top. So people who are at the lower end of the income distribution were not only working longer, but they were dying sooner. So they had less retirement time and it was a little bit more stressful for them. Um, the pandemic just accelerated that. Um, I, um, I'm painfully watching in my data set, people having to retire earlier than they thought and drawing down the retirement savings. So what I'm obsessed about, I'm obsessed about three things, is that we need a national pension system in this country. You know, less than half of people have any way to save for their retirement on top of Social Security at work. Just add another layer to Social Security where people put 3%, their employer could add a little bit more and just add some retirement accounts, you know, some cash, some finances, some assets on top of their Social Security. Just we need a national wealth program. 
if people had 10,000, 50,000, 70,000 being laid off from this retirement, from this recession, would at least let them like not go into debt, not draw down their savings and actually delay collecting social security. So I'm just obsessed about, we need to have a national pension system. I'm also obsessed about um, needing to have a viable reverse mortgage market. Um, since 2008, we have not seen a good reverse mortgage product out there. Um, the private for-profit issuers of such um, products are really worried about default and being underwater. And so they've slapped on lots of costs to those reverse mortgages, a, a mortgage premium. So we basically need a national solution um, because people, older people, the only break they might have gotten in this pandemic um, is the ability um, to, well, I, well, is an increase in the value of their, their house. Their suburban house is now worth maybe 20% more, but they have no way to get access to that to improve their lives. So it's just stupid. It's just stupid that we make retirees be house rich and cash poor. Um, it, we need a reverse mortgage product. We need a way for them to eat their house. And third, I'm totally obsessed with the lack of long-term care planning in this country. So many older people had to even leave work to take care of a, a loved one, um, or a daughter or daughter-in-law had to leave work to take care of their children and an older person. You know, we need to actually note that care work is an important part of this economy and that care work needs to be paid for. So we need to add long-term care insurance you know, to Medicare. There was a proposal for that um, in the ACA back in 2009, you know, when Obama um, proposed an overhaul of our health system. And just that long-term care insurance it was an extra like 1%, 1.5% on the Medicare um, um, premium was just lopped off and they were trying to trim, you know, for the budget. So I say let's negotiate um, drug prices in Medicare. And for that savings, we could add in long-term care insurance. That would really help our society. And the pandemic with our health problems really showed that we needed that. Long COVID is going to cause you know more uh, more pressure on the long-term care sector so those are the three things i'm obsessed with now because of the pandemic and i wish we could solve that tomorrow ally yeah me too uh, those were great points though i i know that um at the height of the pandemic i was talking to so many people about having to you know they were working from home as in you know for the first time they were also taking loved ones out of nursing homes to take care of them because of the situation at hand. Um, so I think the pandemic has definitely been an eye opener for for long term care and everything else that you mentioned. Um, I, I, I really depended upon your reporting, um, especially on that um, decline in two things happened. Um, kindergartners, you know, didn't enroll in school and nursing home um, admittance and exits were on a high, you know, at a sky high. Well, where did those toddlers and those old people go? They went home and women mostly, but also lots of sort of men, you know, who are kind of unsung and not recognized had to add that care work on top of 
the stress of, of, of homework. And people did not, for the most part, live in houses that could house an office and a, a schoolroom and a care facility for a fragile elder. Yeah, there were there were some really sad stories that came out of the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, there were millions of sad stories. Um, but you know, we are so we are two years into this, but it's not the only crisis that we seem to be facing uh, right now. Um, the world is watching global tensions arise from the Russian-Ukraine war, and aside from all the devastating stories that have been coming out of that, we've this. Uh, an economic toll world as a result too. Yeah. Um, how might this impact retirement security, you know, given the fact that we are still somewhat in a pandemic? Um, and what should Americans keep in mind these days? Yeah, I mean, so what we have before us is a pandemic. We had, we're just coming out of a pandemic recession and now we're facing the possibility of a Putin recession. Um, so we are the economic consequences will certainly be a recession. The pandemic caused price hikes in, in, certain, in certain products, mostly in goods, not in services, but the Putin recession will exacerbate those price hikes, especially in oil and also in um, corn, wheat and barley and rapeseed. Russia and Ukraine supply the, um, a huge amount a very significant amount of um, of to the world of the of those foodstuffs. Now, much of that foodstuffs don't go to humans. They go to humans indirectly through um, a creature, an animal, a pig, a cow, uh, a chicken, um, in order to feed um, humans. So, meat-based products, animal-based products, will go up in price, as well as gasoline and fuel oil and, and motor oil. So, we're going to see these con concentrated um, price hikes in those areas. Now, there's some good news about uh, about that. One is that people can really switch to the whole variety of plant products that will supply protein. You know, this is the, if you wanted to be a part vegetarian, this is a great time to do it. Um, also, if you want to be an alcoholic and a vegetarian, this is a great time to do it because plants, grapes and lentils, you know, are are really moderating um, their price hikes. And some of those products are going down in price. Um, I'm being tongue in cheek about being alcoholic. That's not a good idea. But plants are a good idea. Um, also. Um, Americans have actually um, are not as reliant on carbon, on oil, as they were in the last big um, oil shock of 1970s. Um, so we have a lot more alternatives to um, to oil as well. Um, and we're also staying home. So the commute cost, you know, being in your car is less viable. So I'm not as I'm, I'm devastated by the killing that's happening with the Putin um, recession, um, as we were with the uh, pandemic deaths, um, it's just very, very sad. Uh, you know, um, in the in the world that we've had two shocks that have caused so much human suffering. Um, but the recession on this one and the inflation on this one, I'm not I'm not obsessed with. I'm obsessed with not having a pension system, not having long term care, and not having reverse mortgages. Absolutely. Not uh, not inflation. 
Um, and you mentioned this concept before about house rich, cash poor, which I think is uh, such an important concept for people to just wrap their minds around. Um, people, you know, home prices are going up, which is great for current homeowners, not so much those wanting to buy a home. Um, but a lot of older Americans and Americans in general are worried about inflation and how that affects their spending power. So how can retirees in particular balance the good and the bad. Yeah, you know, I'm, I've just started doing um, some math on this. It may make sense for an older um, American um, who hasn't claimed Social Security yet to take a home equity loan. I'd love to see what others think about that. A home equity loan at a low interest rate in order to delay collecting Social Security because Social Security increases by on average, um, six and three-fourths percent per year. The benefit will go up by that am amount between 62 and 70, when 70 is the maximum you can collect. It goes up 8%. Your monthly benefit goes up 8% if you delay from um, 66 uh, thereabouts to 70. Um, and that amount is indexed for inflation. I don't, there is not an inflation index annuity product out there, only Social Security. So it may make sense, everyone, to take out a low interest home equity loan in order to delay collecting Social Security. For those of you who have any assets, financial assets, uh, like $70,000 in a 401k, spend that first before you collect your social security. So my that's that's my advice. You know, I can say it three more times in a different way, but but mainly you're gonna get the same answer. Delay collecting social security as much as you can. And I hope with their financial advisor and just um, another, you know, just common sense um, will people will find creative ways to do that. Um, while we're at it about the home, what we're find, what researchers are finding that a lot of inheritances, um, and only like the top ten percent of people actually get a significant inheritance, but a lot of those inheritances are accidental, and even the um, adult children who get the house after their mother dies and find out that it's not worth a lot aren't that happy because they wish they their parent had had a way to be able to enjoy themselves um, in the last parts of their life, especially if there's been some cognitive decline, you might find a person who skipped lunch, have hundreds of dollar bills kind of spread out along the house to kind of hoard it and sitting on a $700,000 property. But they skipped lunch because they were so afraid of running out of money. It's just one of the worst aspects of our financial system and the way that we stay for retirement, that you would have, that what the system asks of people in their 70s and 80s is basically to do the impossible, especially for someone at risk of cognitive decline and someone who is isolated, to manage tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars and do these complex wealth, uh, wealth transactions just to feel secure until the end of their lives. We've got to actually deal with that um, unethical system that we have now. Absolutely. So I could go on and on asking you questions, but we did get some pretty okay. good uh, 
audience questions. So I want to just dive in if that's okay with you. Oh, that's, that's always much better, actually. <laughs> so, no offense to you, but there's a lot of creativity no, out there. No, absolutely. So this is a question from Calvin. He asked, can you please elaborate on what is wrong with existing reverse mortgage products and how they could be improved? Yeah, well, the reverse mortgage market is a for-profit market and it's a form of um, insurance. So the reverse mortgage issuer is taking the risk that you'll live a really long time and they won't be able to get the equity out of that house. They'll just be paying you, you know, while you live to 90 or 100 or 116. So they're taking on a longevity risk, you know, all by themselves. They're also taking the risk that your house value will not increase like they assumed. Lots of things can happen. Real estate doesn't always go up in price. Just look at um, 2008. And so in a thin market with unknown risks and lots of uncertainty, an insurer, especially when they answer to, sh um, to shareholders, has to um, charge the reverse mor um, mortgage demander extra money to pay for that risk. Then after 2008, um, a basically something that's called a mortgage insurance, um, another premium was added on to uh, what the uh, issuer would pay um, the person who stayed in their house. So it often is a very, very bad deal. Consumers reports actually don't recommend it for most people. Um, most financial advisors, you know, kind of back away and look for other ways that people can extract value out of their house. But we know that downsizing is not only emotionally stressful, like really emotionally stressful. There really aren't a lot of um, smaller, um, nice places to live. Our rental market is not as uh, robust as the buying market. You know, we haven't bought, we haven't built enough multifamily units. We have a horrible mismatch between the housing stock that we have, like old ladies in suburban houses with the housing stock that we need, a lively walkable community with um, smaller multifamily units. We don't, we haven't matched our supply with our, with our, um, um, with our demand. So reverse mortgages um, probably like health insurance and social security has to be done with a much broader base and with a not-for-profit insurer. The federal government, uh, a national market, is really the best way to go, or else you have adverse selection or moral hazard. Absolutely. And Lee asked, has the migration towards the Sun Belt states and retirement continued, or do you notice that more people are staying put in their hometowns? Yeah, that's such an amazing uh, phenomena um, demo demographers have found is that in the past 10 years, mobility has real uh, geographical mobility has really shrunk um, and they attribute it to an aging population. In general, older people tend to stay, um, stay closer to their friends and to some extent their family. It's actually advised they're advised to do that by um, by uh, gerontologists because the one of the worst things people can do is move away from a social network. Also, this migration to the South uh, really only occurred among those people who are upper upper middle class or actually you know rich. Uh, 
And to the extent that we've had more inequality of income and wealth, you have fewer older people, boomers coming into retirement, really able to afford um, to migrate. So yes, to answer your question simply, migration um, has slowed and people are aging in place. This actually uh, fits nicely with another question from Hal who asked, are you seeing a trend? So as you said, you are you seeing a trend for older people to age in place rather than retirement communities? Um, yeah. that, so that actually, could you expand a little bit on that? Because yeah. it's not even just a matter of staying in your house, but you know, the options of like a nursing home assisted living facility or just a 55 up place. Well, um, Hal, as I said, the um, entrance into nursing homes, you know, went way, way down in the pandemic. And that, that, sh that should adjust. Um, but going to a nursing home is actually a low probability event. It's kind of a tail risk. Um, it's much more likely that someone will stay at home until the very end with a short hospital stay. Um, it, and even hospice, um, which is also a tail risk, um, happens more and more at home. Um, more, more retirement communities are needed. Um, there are more people that would like to be in congregate living, to have some of their cooking and, um, and grounds taken care of. Um, they would love to go, to go back to some of their better days when they were in college, you know, to actually move in a dorm-like situation with lots of activities. Um, I've even written columns about this. We could have a whole session on this. Um, there's, much more, um, there's much more opportunity for sex and for romantic uh, opportunities when you live in congregate living. There are all sorts of losses that come with isolation in your suburban home, you know, three bedroom, two bath, that people don't want. They want the vibrancy and the stimulation and the romantic and friendship possibilities of congregate living. It's just now an option available for the very, top uh, the very top the people with the most wealth and the most income we need many more middle class um, spaces for older people um, people in just single households um, can, and can live in um, we have retirement communities kind of structured for singles but a lot of couples you know would like to take advantage of that but the the husband or the wife who doesn't need the assisted living is, is kind of isolated and separated out for the rest of the community. So again, we need many more kind of urban-like multifamily settings um, so that older people can live. I'm really entranced with some of these retirement communities that are popping up around universities. Um, the Marabella near ASU is one. When I was teaching at Notre Dame for 25 years, um, we saw a lot of conversion of, uh, of housing in that low-income area in South Bend, Indiana, turn into um, retirees who love the campus, want, want to walk to football games. Um, but these, again, were kind of luxury-type areas. You know, we need a lot more middle-class assisted living and, and retirement communities. Interesting. Um, so we only have time for one more question. This one is uh, from Angela who asked, why don't employers try harder to retain and or attract older workers? It seems like companies have job openings and these workers want them. Is the increase of remote work a positive for older workers? Yes, it, it turns out that for the older worker who has a job where they can remote work a bit, 
that really helps with the commute because older workers um, really hate the commute and want more flexibility. Um, but again, that's a privileged bunch. Older workers are less likely to have job, less likely to have jobs they can do from home. I was surprised by that, but they don't. I think the reason why older workers, employers don't want older workers in general, just in general, is because older workers can cost a little bit more. They are at the top of the salary schedule, but also because we have a cattywampus crazy way to provide health insurance. Um, if you have an older workforce, your health insurance premiums are going to be higher. You know, we should have had a way that employers could get all their workers onto a group health plan like, you know, like an ACA plan um, so that the employer wouldn't be biased against the older worker because they would cost five times more than a younger worker. The third reason is that there are um, just an enormous amount of age bias out there. Older people aren't viewed as attractive which is incorrect. Look at look at all of us. <laughs> um, they are so they're um, viewed as not able to learn. That's just actually false, um, and or um, not willing um, um, to learn, which is also false. Older workers are usually more reliable and are much better teachers for those informal kind of on the job training um, 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 programs. Um, we are also biased against our, ourselves um, as older workers. You know, just think of how many jokes you made last week about not being able to handle the Zoom call or, or having a senior moment. Um, it's really important for age bias to be as noxious as racial comments or, um, or um, comments um, against women, um, but it's not at all. It's still a legitimate joke to make. Yeah. Now we have a lot of work to do in that arena. Um, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today, though you know we could talk about this for hours. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being here, Teresa, and thank you to our audience for tuning in. Uh, we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savitz, speaks with Dan Niles, Founder and Senior Portfolio Manager of Satori Fund, on how to invest in tech stocks amid the downturn. Thank you again for listening, and we hope that you stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.